represents the single largest spend and the single largest set of commerce activities that happen on an annual basis, bigger than all consumer activities, by the way, and has yet to really join the 21st century kind of digitization that we all know and love in our consumer lives. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Payments Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Chris D'Antuano, and today I'm happy to have Richard Donaldson from Requis. Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. uh, Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And uh, so Richard is a, a founding member of Requis, and Requis is a e-commerce B2B platform, but I'll let him get into it a bit more. His title, I guess, today is VP of Product and Marketing, but he does wears all these hats. And so, Richard, I'll kick it over to you for a brief background of yourself and you know what you're doing over at Requis. Absolutely, Chris. No, I appreciate it. So quick, quick overview background. Um, always interested. In, first of all, always, always interested in networking. And in, in Chris, even like you and I know, off of LinkedIn. So if people want to find me, you know, feel free to find me on LinkedIn. It's Richard Donaldson or RH Donaldson on there as a profile. But uh, the, the high level overview, I'm a 21 year uh, Silicon Valley uh, resident and worker, have largely kind of you know, moved through the mid, 90, mid to late 90s when the internet was first booming, was here an investment banker, ultimately cascading into uh, startups and entrepreneur kind of more focused in the internet infrastructure space, uh, where I got involved with helping to build out um, you know, data centers, networks globally. And then that led me to a job actually where I made a transition, both from startups and what I had been doing mostly in uh, infrastructure development into uh, eBay, where I ran business operations and supply chain uh, for eBay for five years. And in that role, that really led me to where we are today with Reckless, which was I was responsible for managing the buying, managing and selling of assets for eBay, this you know, gigantic commerce platform that we all know uh, very well, uh, been around for 20 years. Yet in the activities that I ran where I was buying and managing and selling, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of infrastructure equipment, I was doing it as if it were the 1970s. My team and everything there, you know, no, no, no fault of anybody's, you know, had, had processes and systems that, you know, were largely manual and largely offline. And that was the um, kind of light bulb that went off that, you know, boy, there's got to be a better way to be doing this. I don't know why something that is so significant to the business that accounts for you know, nearly two thirds of the, uh, or one third to two thirds of the expenses of the company is managed so um, kind of prehistorically, quite frankly. And so we started building something there. And that's when I met a group from the energy industry, a company called Worley, at the time Worley Parsons, now Worley, a major, major uh, energy procurement construction firm, engineering procurement construction firm from Australia. And they came sort of from left field at a financial conference and asked about um, optimizing or digitizing the supply chain for energy. And I kind of looked at them and said, well, you guys build oil rigs and we build uh, data centers. That seems pretty radically different. However, process is almost identical. Uh, just change out line items from you know servers to pipes or switches to valves. And you know an RFQ is an RFQ. And what became readily apparent is the same problems in the energy sector, the BPs and Chevrons and Shells of the world, was the same as the 
supply chain woes in the high tech sector and you know the Ebays, the Googles, the Amazons, which in turn is the same problem that they have in supply chain across all industries, right? Automotive, industrial, pharmaceutical, electrical, picket, which is you know which is really where the thesis of Requis kind of honed in on is that there is a very large gap of technology solutions or technification, if I can use that word, of the enterprise supply chain. And that that organization, that group, that swath of people represents the single largest spend and the single largest set of commerce activities that happen on an annual basis, bigger than all consumer activities, by the way, and has yet to really join the 21st century kind of digitization that we all know and love in our consumer lives. And you know, where I kind of kind of put the put the flagpole down and say, you know, of the global 2000 enterprises that are out there today as measured by Forbes, those 2000 companies represent over 12 trillion dollars worth of procurement per year. They are sitting on an accumulated asset base of 189 trillion dollars and they should be disposing or, you know, uh, liquidating their used and surplus and excess inventories or assets on an annual basis to the tune of 8 to $10 trillion. If I just take those 2,000 companies, again, 2,000 companies, and add their buying and selling per year, it's over $20 trillion worth of economic activity. And that is the equivalent of the entire U.S. economy as measured by GDP, as well as twice the size of the entire global consumer commerce activity measured at about $10 trillion. So all of that is then to say that, you know, that you know, led us to start to build Requis, which is an enterprise supply chain and commerce platform, you know, enterprise only, meaning we don't, it's not open to the general, you know, consumer public, you have to be a company to come and and register and be admitted to the ecosystem. And, you know, where Requis has been built is we really focus on four pillars of activity, procurement, a marketplace, a directory pillar, and an asset management pillar. And what's different about that is that all four of those discrete functions historically have been managed as discrete functions with discrete solutions that have never before been built together as one cohesive system or one cohesive platform. Also, simultaneously, is most traditional ERP or kind of logistics and financial offshoot systems that have been built over the last, whatever, 20 years, you know, from SAP to Ariba to Coupa to, you know, Scout RFP to, you know, which are all, uh, uh, you know, awesome systems, but mostly procurement focused, those have also been very focused on the financial aspects of transactions. So, you know, managing the, the invoicing and the POs and well, Requis is, a, is different is we're really focused on the assets themselves and the asset information. Because at the end of the day, we feel that it's the asset, which is the currency of supply chain. You know, a, a supply chain organization is really there to ensure that they are acquiring the things a business needs making sure that they are being used optimally through their life cycle within the business, and then making sure that they are removing them in a prescriptive manner, uh, an economic manner, you know, making sure that the TCO is kind of, you know, uh, ratcheted down over over the entire lifespan of that asset. So I'll pause there, but that that's sort of a general overview of you know, me and Requis and what we're building and kind of why we're here. Yeah, I appreciate the, the detailed response there. And it gives our listeners you know, a, a breakdown of, I guess, the, the industry itself, if, if they're not too familiar of the pain points and challenges that you guys brought to market. Um, so I just want to dive into that a little bit deeper then. Um, you know, you mentioned of your experience uh, with a platform at eBay. So eBay, 
is obviously a, a, a consumer platform or, or let's say SME platform that can interact and, and be a marketplace. But then again, you working for corporate handling the infrastructure didn't have the opportunity to basically use an eBay-like system, right? And so bringing that to market for you is kind of putting, putting both of those together. And so I guess the first question I have is within the B2B space, is there opportunity there to combine, as you guys are doing now, um, the assets along with the PO response time and along with, you know, the, the required processes of accounts payable, you know, how much of a complex, you know, issue is that and how how easy is it to put it together for a, a an enterprise business to be able to manage off of, uh, you know, one solution? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think it's the whole reason why we, we, we founded Request in the first place was to sort of address that gap, right? Um, and, and, and you keyed on it there, which is the asset information. You know, the missing piece in all of this is the fundamental asset record, right? There's very little standardization for asset records and information within companies, much less within industries. You can see this in the consumer world, you know, where there's sort of standard, you know, there's semi-standard records. So the closest thing you can see to a standard record might be the VIN numbers for automobiles, right? Uh, it's a standard identification number. You build kind of a Carfax record around that, or which is a new technology, by the way. And you know you can see the whole history of the car from start to finish and through multiple owners. That is really what Requis is trying to achieve for all enterprise assets. That Carfax-like view of you know when was it built and you know originated, who owned it first, what did they do to it, and then as it passes through multiple owners to when it's actually scrapped down for the the the, the, the bare elements. So. You know, asset information has always been a key driver or, or, or a key element for, for what we are building the Reckless platform upon, right? So an analogy I might give is, you know, where we all know Salesforce and it's, you know, incredible success and 20 years of development, but it all starts, Salesforce all started and today is still singularly managing customer records. And so the Requis version, you know, where, where Salesforce is the sales and marketing teams and built on a customer record, Requis wants to be the Salesforce, but for the platform for the supply chain organization. But instead of a customer record, that asset record becomes the key element that, that we're sort of trading on or building upon. So, you know, inherent to your question, I think operationally, managing assets, managing the life cycles, managing their information has always been the sort of unspoken problem of supply chain organizations, right? Asset lifecycle management is kind of dirty work. Most of the assets themselves uh, are generally not connected necessarily, but that's changing with IoT and smart assets and all the stuff that we see there. So it was really just really laborious work to go in and kind of manually try to figure out how to, you know, get that inventory under control. All of that is changing. And I think that's where, you know, we saw the opportunity because all the other systems that are out there today are really focused on that that financial aspect of it, you know, POs and invoices and you know, kind of, you know, ensuring that the financial side of the transaction gets complete, but they don't want to touch the asset information itself, even though they're desperate to have it, right? If you look at the biggest ask you have within the, uh, you know, SAP world is try to get, you know, more information about the asset. Where is it? What is it doing? And supply chain teams don't have the ability to necessarily give it back unless it's manual. So you're a spot on question that, 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 you know, what we've seen today in the, in the market where there have been traditional ERP systems or procurement systems or even limited inventory management systems, they're all very disconnected, right? And so what you see within 
most enterprises today is they're kind of scratching their heads in this digitization journey going, okay, I have a mix of different systems. I have a mix of different modalities, meaning some of it I do using technology, some of it I do using manual processes still. You know, how do I even begin to connect all those? And that's not an unnatural question, but it's probably the hardest thing to do. You're trying to take a bunch of disparate pieces and older pieces and try and sew them together to create a comprehensive view of your supply chain instead of beginning to just kind of migrate to a, a platform solution that can kind of bring that all under one roof. Um, and so that's, that's where we've really seen the opportunity. And quite frankly, even the uptake and response that we get from our enterprise clients is, you know, oh my gosh, you know, we didn't know you could actually do all this under one platform. That's a breath of fresh air. So that, that, that's what's kind of helped us get where we are now. And so to dive into that one, so when I guess you, we, as we see transitions from consumer world to business world, obviously the consumer product, and it seems to be getting at it. And then over time, it, it translates into the business world just based on the expectation of the consumer. And so we're seeing that, you know, hopefully with, with uh, at least in the payment space, you're starting to get more transparency with business payments. And then as you're transitioning, you can see, you know, obviously with eBay, you're, you're kind of making that more of the business world. Now, as I'm putting your product hat on, um, as you trying to bring these into one sort of platform, how do you determine companies that you're looking or use cases that you're looking to partner in into the platform and then ones that you're looking to build out, you know, from the ground up with your team or, or do you make a decision, you know, either way, and this is how you're going to do it. Just, just as an entrepreneur and, 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 and a product person, you know, how, how do you figure out the best way to get things to market for you guys? Yeah, great. Again, great question. And there's a lot. <laughs> we could give an entire seminar on that one. So let me, <laughs> let me sort of start at the very beginning here, which is for us, our core mission at Reckless in building our platform and our product is focusing on the two sets of data, asset information and corporate information, right? The two things that a supply chain team needs to know is what am I buying, right? And what am I using it for? And then what am I getting rid of it? That's the buy, manage, sell of the asset record that we uh, are focused on. And then who am I interacting with? right? And that's the corporate directory uh, set of data that we're building as well, right? Um, enterprises just don't do business with anybody. They have to be approved. That approval process requires a lot of information about the companies that they buy and sell from uh, or sell to. And, you know, that, can, that, 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 that set of data, so that set of data around the company is, again, a core piece of the Requis platform. So on top of that, we then have the workflows associated with the transactions, i.e. procurement workflow or standard RFP, RFQ, RFI type processes, and then marketplace where you know buyers and sellers can interact with each other and they'll list things and negotiate and go back and forth, but in bulk, right? So you know if you think of our platform and our four pillars, right, there are two pillars that are data oriented. That's our company and, and asset information. And then two pillars that are associated more on workflow, which have to do with the major activity of procurement, and then the marketplace, which, you know, is probably about 80% right now to 90% uh, geared towards the disposition of assets uh, or the liquidation of views and surplus. So when I'm building the product and, 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 and looking at what we're building internally, I have to stay focused on those four things. And anything that doesn't fit in those four now or quite frankly for the next few years is a partnership opportunity. And so the two biggest things that you know, we've been looking for, and part of the reason, Chris, that you and I even started talking is, you know, within the construct of or within the context of supply chain, you still need to pay for things, 
and you still need to move things around logistically. And so, you know, what I've looked then as, again, as product is saying, okay, I know these are super important in the overall flow of the supply chain activities, payments and logistics, but I'm not going to build those. That's too much. I need to, I need to find, you know, awesome partners to do that, which is what led me to currency cloud in the first place. And quite frankly, in reviewing a whole number of payment solutions, you know, currency cloud became the one in our interaction over the last year, you know, the, 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 the front runner, as far as someone who's thinking about enterprise payments, you know, and solutioning for that, because most everybody, rightly so, is still geared towards optimizing the consumer side of the payments, although that's changing. And so, again, back to your question, you know, leading product, you know, we are, and even now, hyperly focused, uh, especially as a startup and even going through A rounds and B rounds as we grow and scale, we will continually be what I call ruthlessly prioritizing what's important to our core business. You know, uh, at the end of the day, Request makes money on transactions and also a mix of subscriptions to some of the asset or some of the capabilities in the platform. And so I have to I have to be really critical about what we're focused on that that is enabling that revenue, right? We are not going to be making money on financial transactions and the movement of assets or logistics. And therefore again, it makes it real simple to figure out who to go partner with. And quite frankly, those two spaces, interestingly enough, and you 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 speak more about this in, in, in your world, you know, are more mature. Like even as an entrepreneur guy today, even though I see opportunities out there, I'd be hard pressed to launch a new venture in logistics or in payments today. Not because I'm necessarily afraid, but just because they're more established and a little more crowded. Um, that's one of the benefits that I'm finding. And this is another truism here. There's, you know, if, if people are thinking about if this turns into sort of the, you know, entrepreneur uh, conversation too, one of the things that oftentimes is overlooked in starting a venture and entering a space is market timing. You know, I, I would, you know, kind of an offshoot comment here is I don't know if Requis in, in, in building a supply chain platform for enterprises would have succeeded 10 years ago, five years ago, because I just don't think the market was ready yet. And I know some people who actually ran some large B2B opportunity marketplaces back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s that failed, again, just because the market wasn't ready. We are seeing now, however, a big transition in overall supply chain recognition that it has to change, it has to digitize, and even more importantly, how important supply chain is, right, to the organization. It's the lifeblood, it's the central nervous system. So the timing is really good for us right now. And I think, you know, again, putting my entrepreneur hat in the payment space, I think the timing is very good to find an enterprise payment solution because that has not been solved. You know, clearly the British Petroleums and the Chevrons and the Shells of the world are not using PayPal to pay for their, uh, you know, multi-millions of dollars. Actually, quite frankly, Shell spends $225 billion per year in buying things. They're not using PayPal to buy all that stuff, right? Uh, the consumer model just doesn't work there. And I think this is where it's interesting, you know, how Currency Cloud has adapted and is evolving. And you and I have had discussions about this. It's, it's portfolio to meet those needs, specifically enterprise needs. So again, the, the, going back to your question, as a product person, I need to stay focused on what we do and what we're trying to do, which is really the transactions around managing the asset life cycles within enterprises uh, and everything about that and the four pillars and what I'm building. Anything else that doesn't fall in that bullseye is a partnership opportunity for me. And, you know, again, that's the whole point that we built a, a platform that has, you know, an open API architecture, just like any good platform plug and play with anybody else out there and just compliment each other because you can't do everything. And then I would also extend that comment into you know, opportunities in both pay enterprise payments and then also 
even enterprise logistics. I mean, there's a lot of activity and enthusiasm around uh, and even investment in enterprise logistics. But from what I've seen currently is it's mostly kind of brokerage platforms that, that, that are sort of the in vogue investment right now. But they still haven't really married the true, you know, what we know as consumers, FedEx, UPS kind of integration and transparency for global logistics. That, that is still to come, right, and still a big opportunity. Yeah, you touched on really good points there, you know, especially that as an entrepreneur, I think focusing on what your key values are. And as you mentioned, your four pillars and then not getting distracted from that. And I think that's a really key point where you see a lot of companies that have good promise and they have a good product and they have a good few features that they want to take to market. And then they kind of get lost into trying to do everything and, yeah. and um, you know, bringing and, and focusing their time and maybe not going wider, but deeper mm-hmm. in their own areas. I think that that's a really key point that is, is important. It's hard to do, Chris. Yeah, it's it's right. really hard to do. I mean, you get, you get pulled in a lot of different directions. I mean, I don't know, again, here, I always kind of giggle when I think about the show Silicon Valley uh, and how true that is, is a parody of, of what goes on here in startup land. But, you know, you do get pulled in multiple directions. And even we're, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'll be honest, we're getting pulled all the time in different directions. And we're having to actually say no now, uh, which is very different from us when you're first kind of starting and trying to find that market fit. And it's it's almost, it's against our almost DNA to say no, but we're having to, right, to stay focused. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to do. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see the same thing on our side. So I guess good problems to have, but also an understanding that this is this is what we're set out to do and getting that full commitment across the whole the whole team and the whole company, per se, more than anything. I guess to wrap things up here, where do you see... I mean, you're, you're obviously getting buy-in from the enterprises, um, but mm-hmm. what what type of you know what type of value and how how is how is that pitch that you're getting out to them and, and really getting that buy-in? Obviously, you have the value that you're creating, and, and maybe it's it's not an experience that they're used to, but it's mm-hmm. also an enterprise, right? And so there's a lot there's a lot of different ways you could go and sell to an enterprise. But how do you guys do it? Like, you don't have to go away your secret sauce, but what's your best way to get in there and really get that commitment from an enterprise to commit to you guys? And I know, you know, obviously having Morley there is is a monster help for you, but is there, is there other ways that you guys go about, you know, getting adoption from, from some of these enterprises? Yep. So I will, I will, uh, and you touched on it there and I would never, never, discount this, you know, having Worley Parsons, this $20 billion energy company as a a lead investor, and then a gateway to this segment, this energy segment, we would not be where we are today without Worley. I I can't be any clearer on that one. They have given us access, they have given us uh, introductions, and they've also given us their kind of seal of approval, which then alleviates a lot of concerns or typical questions and due diligence from a BP or a Chevron or a Shell or anything like that. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't emphasize that enough and you're, you're spot on that one. Now, that said, they open the door for us, no question, but we still need to get in there and to the point of what you're asking, kind of close the deal, right? So, you know, we, we, we are also, and I want to, want to make sure we're clear on this one, benefiting from the fact that most supply chain organizations that we interact with today, after the introduction is done, and, and largely on the, either the procurement side, asset management side, or even the disposition side, don't have very solid tools or technologies that they're using today. Or if they are using something, kind of the usual suspects that are out there today in, in those spaces and 
that ranges from you know SAP to Ariva to Coupa, and not not that I'm trashing them, but but those are the, those are the ones that have been around for a long time. They're old. They're kind of stayed. They're not very modern or current, and so they they don't have a big affinity towards them in the first place. So we secondarily are benefiting from the fact that what tools exist, if they do exist in the enterprises, are not well received anyways. And so then third, which is another piece of this is that we benefit from is all the professionals that we interact with are also consumers, uh, you know, in their non-work lives. And as consumers, you know, we know how advanced uh, the consumer supply chain is, you know, a la Amazon and, or, and, and even eBay and, and Alibaba, right? Real time, fully transparent. I can get stuff instantly. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding. However, in their professional lives, they come and they look at these things that are archaic, quite frankly, as examples. And so there's a strong, there's, a, there's such a wide gap between this one, you know, a, a persona for us, right? A, a worker within the supply chain, what they go home in their consumer lives and deal with versus what they have in their professional lives. And that gap has only widened over the last 20 years to the point that it's, you know, intolerable anymore. And so there is now a big pull that's happening where, you know, we're seeing the people saying, well, why can't my daily buying, selling and managing things in my professional role where I'm dealing with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions and billions of dollars, be as efficient, transparent and, and, and automated uh, and accessible as my consumer applications. And so that third point is also what we're benefiting from right now in the poll. In, in there, again, I, five, 10 years ago, I don't think the gap was wide enough for us to really kind of navigate that. And I would sort of sum it up with the fact that, you know, selling into enterprises um, is is notoriously hard. It always has been. You know, you're getting big organizations to, you know, think differently or change or modify. So, you know, another thing that we've done with, with painstaking detail is ensure that we're not making big technical changes. So as a part of our product strategy and product roadmap and product development is we've built a platform and we've built solutions or capabilities that mirror existing processes. So, you know, we've benefited by having a core group of founding members that are also practitioners, supply chain practitioners, procurement practitioners. So as we've built our solutions, they mirror the nearly identical what people do today with the expectation that we're simply digitizing them first in how they do things. It's not a radical change, but just a digital version of what they do. And once they're on that solution or a platform, then we can evolve them over time, which again is no different than you know what we see in the consumer lives because you know things that we do today were not as easy as they were ten or fifteen years ago or automated or whatever. It takes some time, but it starts with just you know getting onto something first. So you know again, you know those four things have really kind of helped us in sort of the enterprise sale. So it's you know at, you know the the first and foremost is you know having an enterprise uh, ombudsman uh, in Worley. Secondly, is also kind of hitting the right timing where the enterprises are actually seeking solutions versus, you know, and, and they need and there's a real want, need, desire. And then, you know, third is uh, making sure that we are also ensuring that what we're delivering is not so different from what they currently do today. Because if it's too different, if it's too radically change, then that also puts up a barrier of adoption, right? People are like, well, this is too different from what I do today. So you got to be very careful about following kind of current processes, uh, even though you know within a few years those are going to change and evolve. But, you know, the whole enterprise space is is it's kind of, you know, it, it, if you can get in, it's extremely lucrative, but it's really hard to crack the nut, which is kind of the thrust of your question. So I guess if people are listening for like how to break into enterprise, you know, I, I can't stress enough, you know, 
finding a partner to help you kind of get those first couple wins is probably the easiest way, um, not simple to find the partner. And then secondly, timing something where you know there's a lot of pain in the organization, enough so that they're looking for solutions. Um, and then, you know, third, making sure that your solutions are, you know, mirroring what they do today. So it, it doesn't feel like a huge transition or change um, that th- th- those are that's been sort of our recipe for success so far. That brings up a really good point. And, uh, you know, basically what you were mentioning there that, you know, the fact that people try to create you know something maybe brand new, flashy, should be interesting. But the the assumption that you're going to get adoption there is is, is very key um, because people need to mm-hmm. feel comfortable, right, and understand what right. they're getting into to be able to buy in. And then maybe you give that chance to tweak it to maybe show some innovation al- along the way. So I think that's a really key point to to, to close yep. on. Yep. I know you covered it earlier. Uh, the best way to get in touch with you uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Richard Donaldson on LinkedIn at Requis. And then also to get in touch with Request, I mean, it's just, you know, visiting your site, Request.com would probably be the best way to get in touch with you guys. Yep. www.request.com. Uh, you can get me at richard.donaldson at Request. And then also just on LinkedIn, always open to networking. You know, it's just RH Donaldson or Richard Donaldson is the profile that usually pops up. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you on today. You know, obviously we've been, we've been chatting for a while, so I'm finally glad we got to be able to get on and record today. Always good talking with you, Richard. And, uh, you know, enjoy your weekend. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much and, and appreciate everyone listening. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at CurrencyCloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.